Welcome to Jubilee Street, a music podcast. I am Ian McCurtis. I'm here in the virtual hangout room, the virtual green room with Jake Curtis, with Blue the Intern Dog, with Buffy the HR Dog. And today we are talking about the Nick Cave and the Bad Seed song, Watching Alice. There was a podcast named Jubilee Street, a music podcast hosted by Jake and Jake, how was your Halloween? Oh wait, I think I li- I think I listened to the wrong song for the podcast. It's fine. We'll bullshit through it like we always do. Uh, I had a fine Halloween. I watched the titular Halloween while like I was working that day, like the OG. Yeah, it wasn't really that eventful, and uh, I don't know why, but I- I've just been I've been slammed recently. I'm I'm working on this new project that I still haven't been able to tell you about, and. I I feel like I'm like between the podcast and doing that and then you know listeners may remember in the past you know I said some stuff was had gone down in my personal relationship recently so I've been doing that but what, Halloween was just kind of a you know we we ran to the grocery store we were there for like an hour hour and a half got a bunch of shit like stocked up on like tons of crazy low deal prices there's this place called Grocery Outlet here that you would love. Like you can find all these cool products that normally are like way more expensive at like Kroger, but they're like super cheap. Anyway, we did that and then we watched like 30 minutes of Sweeney Todd and we went to bed early and I read some of my uh, book I'm reading about vampires and that was it. What about you? Uh, Nothing too crazy either. I had some um, butternut squash soup for dinner. Yum. And I'm like, Handed out candy to trigger treaters, but it was cold and rainy, so trigger treaters were done pretty early. And then, how did Buffy do with the trick or treaters? She didn't do great. We had her like just in another room, so she wasn't in the living room. <laughs> yeah, I figured she would probably get too excited and bark at them. Mm-hmm. That's what she does here too. We have to constantly clip out her audio. She just starts barking at us while we're talking. I mean, you're joking. She's in but a completely. I, I have done that before. She's in a completely different room. Right now she is, yeah. Uh, she's doing eight she, paperwork. Even now she's like, Jake, Jake, quiet. You're, you're clipping. You're clipping the game. Turn your game down. Turn the fucking game down. So, uh, yeah, but it was it was fine. It, it's been like kind of a stressful week in some ways, but uh, I don't know. I, I always look forward to the podcast as my sort of light at the end of the tunnel because we always record on Thursdays usually, and it always is kind of like a nice lead into Friday. I feel the same way. So we decided to, uh, what did we do? Up Jump the Devil. And we were like, let's do some more Tinder Prey songs. So that's what we are doing. We're starting off with Watching Alice, which is mm-hmm. track uh, three or four on yeah. Tinder Prey. And mm-hmm. what did what did you think? What first impressions? Was this the first time you heard it? I feel like I should start the podcast by saying... And I think it's a good, you know, it's a good way to start the month of November. No, no, no. By giving thanks. 
<laughs> no, I didn't say no nut November. It's a good I way. Didn't. I I so I, oh. <laughs> imagine being someone who stutters and you're like, welcome to no no November, and then everybody's like, yeah, um, complete. Miss, That's how it started. Like, yeah, <laughs> some poor guy like was nervous on the podium. Yeah, and he said, said "No nut November," and someone, some guys like that sounds like a hashtag. That sounds cool. Um, that sounds cool. <laughs> anyway, uh, I I'm grateful to do this podcast with you every week, and uh, I always, like I said, you know, a second ago I look forward to it, but I'm just really like I was really flattered, like not flattered. <laughs> I was really kind of flattened by this like song, like how much it hit me. Like I, I just think it was an absolute banger of a song. Like, and it has made me really appreciate Tender Prey more as an album. And I think it might be one of the Bad Seeds' best. Yeah, I think that for me, this might be the first Bad Seeds song that is just like. Flatten is a good word. That is just like heartbreaking. This is song. Yeah, it's so fucking sad to me, but I love it. It's not like one of those songs that's upsetting because it's so sad. It's. I mean, just dive in. To me, this song feels like. I always like when someone young writes about being old. When someone old writes about being young, this feels like a young Nick Cave writing about himself being old and just reliving this memory of watching an ex girlfriend undressing, and he just played it in his head so many times and just lived there. Go on. I mean, that's it. Just sounds like an old man who's just like stopped, like kind of paused on his life, and has just you know stopped progressing and has just been living in nostalgia. So, I think that's an interesting take. My interpretation of it was, I don't know why, but it felt very like um, like person out of place to me. There's a line where you know they talk about Alice puts on her uniform. And there was something about the line delivery and the or the lyric delivery there that was so like upsetting to me in a way. Like it made me think that like because at first I I didn't hear uniform, I heard skin, and then it got a whole lot. It made a whole lot more sense once I looked up the lyrics. But I kind of liked my first hearing of it because it made me feel like you know there's this person who you know is so like beautiful and full in their body. And then when they go out to the world and there's a lot of mention of churches and stuff in this song, you know, when you go out into the world and you kind of have to put that, you know, heteronormative like Christian uniform on, it just kind of gave me this really grotesque imagery of how like, you know, and it's, this isn't a new idea. I think there's like, I think there's even like a, like a Megan Mogg comic sketch where they, like Owl takes his skin off or something. Have you you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Like there's yeah. like, like it looks like he took off a costume. There's a Sarah like, Squirm video like that too. Flay away. Yeah, those are always that's always really creepy. So I got kind of like a and I think, you know, the idea of like an old man like looking back on the youth like that's an interesting idea, right? Because as we get older, we get you know, it, but we may still have these memories of like past loves and like. It might be kind of weird to like, you know, if you're trying, if you're like masturbating to that idea or something like, I don't know. There's just a whole lot of like weirdness in this song, and I was really drawn to it pretty immediately. Like from the the moment I played it, I think I listened to it on Monday or Tuesday, and then I listened to it like all day today. 
Yeah, the line that makes me give it that read is the obviously watching Alice rise year after year up in her palace. Like he's made this like secret compartment in his mind where he keeps this memory of her. But on a yeah, on a more surface level, you know this this song's playing with a lot of different things. So the Alice thing, I think, is supposed to make you think of Alice in Wonderland. There's a fairy tale quality of like a princess up in a castle, and then I think on another level. You touched on a little bit. There's this like, I, I guess like fetish pseudo BDSM thing with like stockings and then church and then the uniform zippers, you know, I, I mm -hmm. think it kind of invokes this fetish imagery. Well, the, yeah, there's, there's that imagery. And then there is the very like physical nature of zippers and stockings. Like they kind of squeeze your body to make it look a certain way. You know, they mm. it, it brings in those little rolls of fat that might be under your breast. You know, clothing is often like, you know, you, you buy clothing to, you know, shape your body, you know, as well as possible. You know, if especially if you're like overweight or, you know, women in particular have a lot more expectations. And then I think kind of given the tone of this, this isn't necessarily like a modern day person, but I think like... I just was re I was really interested by the like the zippers on the side like you said the stockings like there's a lot of like kind of putting things on like a put on but I think what is really kind of frightening is the watching Alice rise year after year up in her palace she's captive there and this narrator's kind of sadistic cuz he could go help her but he chooses to keep her there you know to not let go of the maybe it's a memory he doesn't want to let go of you know, maybe he doesn't want to let go of his youth, so he's hanging on to hers. Let me ask you this. If it is, let, let's say it is, like, a memory. Do you think this narrator is still with Alice and he is he is fantasizing about the person she used to be or he's with a new person or alone? I don't know. I think um, I think it'd be interesting to think about like contextually, Nick was probably dating and had you know partners at this time, but I don't think he was in a relationship just yet. Was he? I'm not sure. This is what mid '80s. I don't. I don't know. He he seemed pretty kind of bachelor like for a while. So my take is that you know if it's him, since he's writing this song in 1988 from sort of a more youthful perspective. I think it's probably safe to say that he's probably the narrator's probably alone. I don't know what makes it. I feel like um, I I just like the sad shit. I feel like the saddest read is he's still with Alice, but he's not in love with Alice anymore. He's in love with who Alice used to be. Can I can I ask you a question? Do you think this is a love song? I, if I can, uh, this is gonna sound like a very Nick Cave thing to say. In so much as like every song's a love song. Hmm. Like, I think this song's in love with an idea. I don't think it's like a... It's not like the ship song. It's not a traditional love song. Why would, would you dance you to this at... Would you dance this at your wedding? Would you put it on a wedding playlist? No. No. I mean, musically, it's nice, but this song is, like, really sad to me. No. No, I would not. Yeah. I, I don't view it as a love song. I view it as a sort of, like... It feels more torturous to me. Like, it feels more like... I long for Alice. I long to be with Alice, but I'd rather I'd rather have the idea of her so that I don't potentially 
sully that with my own grotesqueness or my own like idiosyncrasies and weirdnesses. You know what I mean? I think part of why this song probably hit both of us so hard is because just as kind of like more like low key laid back people, this song is like you're watching someone. This song is like a voyeur. This song is someone who's like being passive. They're not like acting. They're just like taking things in when they could be doing something. And I feel like that is something both of us, like we've had situations where like, I wish I would have just fucking did the thing and I didn't. Yeah, yeah, I think that's tough. Like, um, it's kind of poking at that feeling. I think it's everybody has felt it, where you really feel like you you want to react a certain way, and it can be something as small as like, oh, you know, I was at this concert at Skull Alley, and I wish I had let myself be comfortable enough in my body to like mosh and have a good time, but instead I chose to kind of stand still and look cool and, you know, not let myself be free in that energy. So I think there's kind of that in there, but there's also like, you know, if you had the opportunity to free somebody from this tower who's been trapped there forever, would you do it? But then there's the whole Truman Show thing, right? Like once you show somebody the world, you could be, you know, kind of, it kind of could be a death knell for what could come after that, you know? It's like mean? the cave thing. It's like when you're in a cave. It's the I think that's a Plato thing. Like oh, Jake. The I just learned about that a couple of weeks ago in my political theory class. Yeah, the allegory of the cave. Yeah, so it's like not to get too political, but it's like I think Facebook is actually like a perfect example of the cave. I think that because of algorithms, like there's people like my uncle and probably like older relatives in your family who they read and click on certain things and then they start just getting th- seeing things about that and then it just further solidifies their opinions but if you you know as the sort of younger influence come in and you're like oh well you know this is why this is why I think like guns should be monitored and controlled they're going that's how that's why people react so vitriolic like towards that kind of thing because they they're in the cave. They're stuck in that cave mindset and they're not willing to like open up to another one. It's like, I think the same thing with like why monogamy is so big in, in modern day culture, like because people think they have to be with one person and in some ways it's, it's, it's easier to navigate, but I think there are people who are closed off to it who, or who are closed off to like the idea of like having that one partner and then have like having sex with other people or like having relationships with other people inside of that. Does that make sense? Uh, Jake th- thinks monogamy is wrong. I don't think it's wrong, but I do think very deeply about like, like I've only had two sexual partners in my life. I'm 31. Um, I get really frustrated sometimes. Like, you know, I love my girlfriend and I am super attracted to her, but I also definitely feel like I miss I sometimes feel like I missed out on something like I didn't get to try all the different types of you know flavors of Coca-Cola you know <laughs> I don't know why that's the first thing that came to mind but you know I had I had access to a freestyle machine and I only chose Coca-Cola <laughs> and Diet Coke you know so I mean I don't really I'm pretty no pun intended married to the idea of monogamy like it just feels right for me hey oh um, but but do you think what you're saying might be a little bit in the song, like this person is just like 
you know, when I was younger, I I I could have I should have done more. Should have been out there more. Well, I think that's what it's about. Is it's like, you know, there's there's like a, I think like um the the Fat Mike story about how he sort of figured out that he was into like BDSM and being um subbed and stuff like that, and you know then he really embraced like things that he liked doing, like wearing dresses and um you know wearing clothing that wasn't, you know, typically associated with his gender. And, you know, it opened up this whole world for him that he had kind of been commingling with for a while. And that's what I think is happening here is, you know, for better or for worse, our narrator or Alice or both probably like, you know, we only get his perspective of her, but who knows, like, does she fantasize about somebody watching her and coming to save her? And then does she even think or know that there's somebody watching her to save her? And like, then there's the whole sexual aspect of it where it's like the guy is getting off on controlling this idea about Alice. And I think, you know, fetishes, BDSM, like all that stuff kind of comes down to like a control thing. I feel like it's the idea is beaten into the ground at this point, but like, you know, the whole businessmen who, you know, like to get fucked by a woman with on, with a strap on, you know. I think that that's kind of like all of that kind of falls into the ideas that the song is pushing on us. This is something that like I've noticed more and more is, you know, I just listen to music in my life, and we sort of study it for this podcast. Is like this fetish imagery comes up a lot in like in like indie rock songs and mm-hmm. artsy punk songs. Like it, it's ever present and i think it's because a lot of these songwriters like to play with taboo and that's the same thing like people find things sexy because it breaks taboos and i think yeah that's the same thing these songwriters like to play with and i think that's why these themes keep coming up over and over again and to sort of like completely shut down everything we've talked about the last like 15 or 20 minutes do it i also kind of just think that this is just a beautiful song they're like the guitar playing on this is incredible. They actually had um, a different guy play guitar on this track. Do you have that name pulled up? Yeah, shout out Hugo Race, who was a founding member of the Bad Seeds, I believe. He was on the first album, mm-hmm. and then he plays on a, a song or two for the next couple, maybe all the way up to like maybe even the early '90s. He, he does they, a song or two here and there, but yeah, a forgotten Bad Seeds member, I would say. Do you think that there is an argument to be made that the Bad Seeds are or were an originator of horrorcore? So the genre that I feel like is always attributed to Nick and the Bad Seeds is Murder Folk. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, we, we've talked about it on the pod. We've talked about it, yeah. Um, When you say horrorcore, do you mean like the hip-hop like that when I, yeah. when I hear like like you know some ghetto boy songs. Um, well, what, what's the connection I think, then? Because I I don't because I just I feel like there's a spookiness to watching Alice. Like the guitar playing. There's like a isn't there? There's a lot of harmonica on this record overall, right? There's a harmonica mm-hmm. solo near the end. There's a lot of sort of false endings where you think the song's gonna fade out and then it kind of comes back. Um, so I don't know. when just, I think of horrorcore, the main thing I think of is like, again, it's playing with taboo. It's like so ultra violent, like it is meant to upset you. And yeah, 
I don't think Nick ever really like Stagger Lee is a very violent song, but it's camp. Horrorcore is like I feel like supposed to scare you. Okay, because you know I, I, mean? I don't know. I mean, when I think of horrorcore, I think of like music that's kind of scary sounding. Like I think you know, hip hop is kind of this like Three Six Mafia is usually yeah. Kind I think of, the, of like early Three Six Mafia, and those songs are like fucked up. And a way st- like Staggerly is fucked up, but like it feels campy. And my other argument is that I feel as though there is like like there doesn't ever feel like there's a chorus structure in Bad Seed songs. And I feel like there are like Three Six Mafia. Say but it doesn't feel that way. It's the way they do it. It always feels like the song is just kind of one long song. There's not like refrains or like you know they go back to this theme. There, I know it is happening, but it doesn't. The way that they, the music sounds, it doesn't sound that way to me. Yeah, I think there's a type of song. I don't know enough about music theory to know if this is true, but I, I think that there's like a type of songwriting we're used to, where you switch what note the part starts on in the chorus as opposed to the verse. Yeah. And Nick Cave, I feel like, does a more classic songwriting where the verse starts on, let's say, C. The chorus also starts on C. So it doesn't feel like it's moving as much. I think. Yeah, I get what you're saying. As you know, I've have I've been thinking a lot about like that music struck like structure theory kind of stuff because I am realizing that I haven't regularly played an instrument or worked on any music in about two years. And our friend Mateo reached out to me and he was like, "Hey, you should send me some Gabriel Ha stuff. Like, you know, we should collab." And I was kind of like. I don't even know if I want to do that right now, which was a weird feeling to have. But n- now that you say that about the the way that the like he comes back to the sea and he starts on the sea, it's like I think I think it's just sort of more a little a little bit more melodically repetitive. But I yeah, I think it's sure. I think it's I think it's purposeful. Yeah, I mean, I think most Nick Cave songs they feel. Uh, I, I get what you're saying now. When the chorus comes, it doesn't feel like a new part. It feels like it's all one line. Well, I thought about this today, and the music that you and I both grew up on was nothing like this. Like, there's always, like... It's about the impact. If the, if the verse starts on C, then the chorus yeah. starts on G, because you want it to, like, feel... You want it to, like, hit. Well, it's like I think the best example of this is "Damn It" by Blink One Eighty Two. The chorus hits so hard because it. I I think it does start on a different chord than the than the verse does. Mm-hmm. Um. Or wait, no, it doesn't actually. I think it's a. I think it's like an inverted G. Uh. Anyway, I, I think that the music that we grew up on, like new, like I listen to a lot of new and damn metal. Damn it, switches to halftime though in the chorus. Yeah. So stuff like that, right? Whereas I feel like uh, most bad seed songs are kind of a th- they don't a through line. Hardly ever change tempo. I mean, I can't think of hardly any bad seed songs with a tempo change. And I think this is sort of the first bad seed songs we've song we've covered in a while that, like, I feel like the instruments that are featured are featured loudly in the mix and prominent in the way that the song sounds. You know, I feel like piano is something I so much associate with the bad seeds. But listening to this, like the this song and more of Tender Prey, like like the Mercy Seat is such a weird song. Like the the song writing and the performance on this album, they're all so novel and interesting. 
Yeah, I th- I think a lot of that might be F- Flood's influence as a producer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sort of buying into Nick and the Bad Seeds wanting to sound weird. Like, you know, Nick's coming off the birthday party. They sort of ease into making pop, you know, what essentially becomes pop music by the time you get to later Bad Seed stuff, at least pop songs, maybe not pop production. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Th- this song does feel, you know, it's on the same record as the Mercy Seat, but the Mercy Seat sounds like the previous albums. This sounds more like what's to come. It's very interesting that you say Sonically. that because I will save this idea for a future episode, but this feels very like sound-wise, like you can really hear what's to come after this. Um, I had and one I mean, Flood, idea. Flood is able to, you know, Flood is someone who's worked with fucking New Order, U2, Smashing Pumpkins, you know, a, a huge variety of artists. So he's sort of able to evolve with the Bad Seeds as they work together. So my my last idea that I had lyrically about this song is he mentions, this is kind of a stretch, but, you know, I like this is what I like to do. He mentions Alice's body is golden brown. Her hair hangs down as she stoops to conquer me. First she pulls her stocking on and then the church bell chimes. We've talked about all that. The first two lines are what are important. Alice's body is golden brown. Um, for whatever reason, I started thinking about, because it's the holidays, you know how you prepare like a beef wellington or like some kinds of pork and you use twine to like tie it together. Mm, yeah. So I really took like I, I think that there is a there is an, an analog here for a woman dressing up for a man as either a woman dressing up a piece of meat for a man or dressing up as that piece of meat for the man. This feels very much like if I if I really want to get heady with it. This song feels very much like people who m- listen to music and admire it, but they can't conceive of being free enough with their inner Alice to not just consume it. They could dress it and make it and control it, but there's like a fear with like being in that control seat. You know what I mean? Let me see if I understand you right. Tell tell me if this is sort of the idea you're thinking. So I think this is an idea that gets touched on in music. You know, so much of music is about sex. That ideally, you know, this is where you get into like problematic territory. Like Like sex and lust is so easily problematic and even misogynistic. Ideally, you know, sex is like the two people are like devouring each other. Like they are both a piece of meat for each other. Mm. And it's like a, a consensual, you know, you are objectifying the other person, but it's like they want that. Yeah. But when you, you run into a lot of issues where people, that's usually not how it happens. It's usually one person being objectified and it's shitty. Is that sort of what you're talking about? I mean, I- not really. I, I let me see if I can try to rein it in a little bit. So imagine you're dressing a piece of meat. You're in full control of this thing 
that really you had no consent to dress up and cook and eat and consume. And my argument here is that this narrator, is, by like the language he's using, you know, pull the stockings on. We could we could take uh, take that and run with like you're tying the twine around the piece of pork or the piece of meat. The zippers are on the side, like you're you're pulling, you know, the you're 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 sort of massaging the sides of the meat, preparing it, making it tender. I I, I just. There's like a, I don't know if it's because I watched some of Sweeney Todd recently, but there's very much like a lot of like, if you're putting like, like, you know, she's kept in the tower. It's like you keep the meat in the refrigerator and you let it sort of marinate overnight and you watch it and you check on it. And then you, you see this thing and you watch it change. And so I'm making that argument where literally this narrator is treating this person as a piece of meat that can be cooked and consumed. But even further than that, what I'm saying is that I think that this song could be taken as a message that, you know, people who idolize and love music and musicians and consume it and control it and they buy the CDs and they buy the media, they give in to this consumption, but they don't look within themselves to see if they can create something beautiful. They'd rather control something that they didn't make because they're insecure or unable to like believe that they can make these things. I know that's really out there, out there, but that was really we, on my mind. I think mind. we're saying the same thing in different words. Certainly, yeah. You're saying like, you know, the idea is I make I make a record and I I need the audience as much as the audience needs me. I mean, that's like the conceit of punk rock. We both mm-hmm. need each other. I need to inspire the people. The people need to be inspired by me and then they go out and do shit. But a lot of times, that's not how it works. You just consume, consume, consume. You take in all this media, and then you just sit in your room, and it's like the piece of meat. It's like the the sex object that isn't getting what they want. You know, you want it to be a two-way street. This Alice and his memory, there's no two-way street because she has no control. She's a memory. And the the thing is, is that we obviously view the song as sad. I think that's the intention. And well, the last I think so depressing. But I do think that there's a part of this narrator who's getting off to this story, and you know, this is yeah, an like unreliable love, narrator. You know, I mean, we've both had periods of depression. Sometimes you just like you love it, like you just sit in there and you love being sad. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. that feeling. But the uh, on the other hand, as far as like the musician with the audience, is that. The audience isn't always aware of how the musician's feeling. You know, we go see Paul McCartney. He better play Hey Jude at the end of the show, even though he's probably got dozens, hundreds of his own songs that he would probably rather play. But he's Paul McCartney. We play the hits. You know, you and I have gotten into conversations about how I'll be like, oh, yeah, I haven't really worked on anything recently. And you know, you'll get kind of mad at me because you'll, you'll, you know, you'll have like just finished something and, you know, you'll be like, well, you know, I, I was going through a, I was going through it earlier this year too. And, you know, I think you'll find that most people feel the same way as you do. And I think that's a big thing too, is like people just, we just want to separate ourselves from people. Like, it's like a weird human desire when we're in these moments to like isolate. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the desire to isolate is sort of the through line of the song. It's much better. It's much better to watch Alice mm-hmm. than it is to be with Alice. Be with Alice, yeah. 
I mean, actually, it's probably better to be with Alice, but like this mind frame that the narrator's in, yeah, they'd rather just watch Alice. It's, it's safe. It's easy. Yeah, yeah. Really refreshing to come back to the bad seeds in this way because I feel like we've had, you know, we've done a little bit here and there, but I think we're hitting a pretty good stride here of, you know, revisiting some older material. And um, this was really, really good. I, I like, you know, true Nick Cave fans are probably going to get mad at me for saying this, but like, Nick Cave isn't like a go-to listen for me throughout the week. Like, I have a lot of other artists, like new music too, that I want to listen to. But when I heard this, I like I was like, oh, I can't wait to listen to this again. I also wanted to bring up, there's a song that this reminds me of so much, and it's Martha by Tom Waits. And uh, anyone listening, you should listen to these two songs back to back. They melodically are so similar. The subject matter is so similar, just like looking back on an old flame. They they feel like sister songs to one another to me. The the Martha song, um, when you brought it up, it like instantly clicked for me, and I put it on because because I I didn't put two and two together until I played the music and I, I I immediately was like oh I know this song, and this song so that song is so beautiful and I think they're they're definitely they could be called like sister songs. They almost like the the piano melody almost sounds like it's it's the same and it's not they're they're in different keys but they got to be very similar if you were to transpose them. It's absolutely wild to me that Tom Waits wrote that song. It's just not that he can't, he's not a good songwriter, it's just it, that is such a good song. Yeah, that first Tom Waits album is really the first what two is that before his voice starts getting a little weird. Mhm. Uh they're wild that, th- like, knowing where he was going to go, it is crazy to listen to a song, Martha. Yeah, it is. Like, that's what I'm saying is, like, if once you listen to Rain Dogs and then you hear a song like that, and he's like, I, I, I was telling you this earlier, but he's, like, emulating. He sounds so much like David Bowie to me on this. I, 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 I think timeline-wise that makes sense, given that it was 73, so Bowie was still super prominent. I don't know. I, I think... It's a really gorgeous song. I think it's like Nick Cave, certainly the the birthday party to Ghostine is a crazy jump, but mm-hmm. it feels like it all happened gradually. Tom Waits just kind of like turned into Tom Waits like out of nowhere. Yeah, I wonder, do you what, think there was... trombones that just sort of like hit. You know, you know more about Tom Waits than me at this point. Was there some kind of shift in his life that you know about that caused that? I know... He, I think his wife, who he's been married to for a long time, was really into like Captain Beefheart and sort of more esoteric music and introduced him to that. And I think that had a huge influence on him. And then whatever he decided he wanted to do with his voice, you know, which is a, a big shift. It's really interesting that you, that like, cause I, I hear it when you, when you brought it up, I hear it, but Martha just feels so much more like, loving and adoring than why can't i remember the song (laughs) watching alice watching alice yeah martha feels like a healthy way to look back on an old relationship yeah uh watching alice feels like an unhealthy way but yeah i mean i agree with that martha is a more sweet song yeah watching alice is bondage the way yeah 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Martha feels like like my the thing Worst is is my contender. context with Martha was they use it in an episode of the show Better Things at a wedding between two men that are friends with the main character. And It'd be a good song at a wedding, and we we came to the conclusion this song would not be good at a wedding. Yes. So uh, the if there's anything you take away from this episode of Jubilee Street, it is Martha is a better wedding song than watching Alice. But let you know, us if, DJ your wedding. If, if you're nasty, uh, Jubilee four five eight. That's our that's our DJ name. We um, we'll, we'll make a great set for your wedding. That's a Absolutely. good sa- that's a good sound effect that Ian just made. We we woo woo. That'll be one of the other DJ sound effects that we do. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to Jubilee Street. Thank you for all the work Buffy the HR dog did, Blue the mm-hmm. intern dog did. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it without you guys. We will be back soon with another episode. And we love you. This one's for Corey. Watching Alice dressing in her room. It's so depressing